the problem with capitalism isn't the thing itself. It's people's heart and how they work it out. An economy is solving problems and getting paid to do that. That's what an economy is. It's just a bunch of transactions, and that makes the world go round. I think there's a suspicion that profit is inherently wrong. Profit's actually good, and it's deserved, and it's right, and it makes the world work really well, but we know it's not perfect. And somebody else might do it different or better or differently, and we think that's one of the beauties of capitalism. Sometimes the innovation challenges something, and it forces people to find a new, better way to do it. We don't claim to think this is the perfect or the only model. We just think it can be improved and innovated, and we're trying to do that. Welcome to the Stewardship Podcast, where we help you understand that stewardship is about more than just money. Today, we will be talking about money, because we're talking about how to steward capitalism. I'm here with Grant. Hello, Grant. Hello, Daniel. My name is Daniel, and we have invited our friend, Jean Klinkhammer, to the podcast today. Hey, Jean. Hi, guys. I'm surprised it's taken this long to get Jean on the podcast, but I'm excited. Yeah. And I'm especially excited about this episode. Dan, why, why am I so excited? What are we going to be talking about? Well, capitalism is under attack. Yeah? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't know if you've noticed in the media uh, or in the education system, mm-hmm. uh, it seems like capitalism has a bad rap. Mm-hmm. A lot of people think that capitalism is fueled by greed, gigantic companies, and that profit in and of itself is wrong. Mm. But is that true? I don't think it is. And Jean agrees with me, <laughs> which is one of the reasons why he's on uh, this episode. But because this is the first time our listeners have heard from Jean, mm-hmm. I want to give a short introduction. And Jean, I'll allow you to share a little bit about your history as a business owner or even uh, your history as somebody who's been in this capitalist society. Uh, but uh, Jean is not only a friend of mine, but he is a mentor. Somebody, him and his wife are just a few years ahead of me and, and, and Jody and our parenting journey and business owner journey. And, uh, so often Jean is able to share with me wise nuggets that my wife and I are able to like, Oh, wow, we need to do that. Or me and my business partners are like, Oh, wow, we, we need to do that. Um, and I'm so, so grateful to have a friendship with Jean. And when he speaks, I am often listening and I'm grateful that you guys as listeners get to experience some of the benefits that I have had. But just in this episode, Jean, tell us a little bit about your history of being in the business world and why you might be uniquely qualified to have this conversation. Mm. Thanks. Well, I grew up in a real estate family in Canada. Both my parents were in real estate, and my dad actually got a real estate degree. He's one of the they only. Have those? Yeah, that's actually wow. really a thing. And I didn't know it was a thing. And <laughs> when I got into my adult life and got a lot into real estate, I kept asking, who has a real estate degree? And I've met very few people out of thousands who are real estate professionals who have a real estate degree. So he did. But honestly, growing up, it wasn't something I thought I was going to get into for a variety of reasons. And when I graduated college, um, My dad's advice was really great. He said, hey, just take the company that has the best training and you can learn the most general stuff because the old idea of you're just going to do one thing and stay with one company for your life, the world's changed a lot. And it was good advice. Ahead of his years advice. Way ahead of his years because this is unfortunately a little while ago. This is 30 30 years ago I graduated from college. So I'm no no spring chicken here, (laughs) fellas. Um, But uh, so I I went to work for the company called Anderson Consulting that that now is called Accenture. And it was a tech and business consulting company. And my first couple years were there. And it was amazing because great training, 
But interestingly enough, I was a volunteer Young Life leader. I met the Lord in Young Life, which is an outreach to kids that don't go to church. They aren't hearing about God in church. Mm-hmm. So that's where I met the Lord, and, it, and I was serving in Young Life as a volunteer. And when I was working at Anderson Consulting, I felt this lack of fulfillment and purpose mm-hmm. in my work. And it felt like the criticism, Daniel, you were describing of just like corporate. And it wasn't a super mm-hmm. greedy, terrible company. It's actually a great company. But I just didn't feel the fulfillment side of what are we really doing to make the world better? Now, honestly, looking back, if I could go back there, they were doing amazing things. Uh-huh. I just didn't connect as much with what that was. For me personally, at that stage in my life, my understanding, I was getting a paycheck and I was doing X, Y, Z. It wasn't very fulfilling. But I'm a volunteer leader with Young Life. That's where my purpose is. So after a few years, I went on to Young Life staff full-time thinking that's what I want to do is have fulfillment and purpose in the nonprofit world. I mean, that's just where I wanted to have the impact. And it was an amazing experience. I did that for a few years uh, in Tempe and Chandler, Awatuki. But I quickly came to realize out of that, that my gifts and what I was good at, there was a lot of time I spent in Young Life that was doing business and budget administrative stuff that wasn't my best kind of wheelhouse. And I saw real estate as this powerful tool for building wealth, for serving people, for solving problems, and a lot of freedom and autonomy, which was really important to me in the time. And so I got into real estate more as an entrepreneur at that point, kind of self-employed, and struggled. Over those 20 years I've been doing that, uh, there was big ups and big downs. And interestingly enough, Grant, it was when you and I met years ago and I was transitioning into like hard money lending side of real estate investments and real estate funds. At that point in my life, I was already starting to get really inspired to see, you know, the actual work, the business can be glorifying to God in whatever you do. And the best kind of business is when you're so focused on how you're solving a problem for your customer that that's how you're glorifying God. And so since then, it's funny when you call me a mentor because I've always felt like you're one of my mentors in that in that sphere. Mm. I love talking with you about business and and how we're helping customers and how does that work but still be a profitable, sustainable business, how those things meet. I just – it's been amazing to see what I've been learning. God has shown me through you, through books I've read, and um, that's kind of been the journey. So I've been full-time in real estate investing for about 20 years. And uh, then you and I became business partners in Stewardship Realty, um, and we launched that just this last year. Yeah. And the it's it's fun because we are in the same office together. We have this relationship together. We also have this passion about making work worship, about doing good in business and how to do that. So much so that we often have conversations. And as we have conversations, sometimes like our voices will get excited and raise as we're talking, which is which is great. A, a little louder than it needs to be yes, for a certain area of the yeah, office. It, but it's great. And while we were uh, preparing for this podcast, um, you uh, shared a definition for economy that I thought was really good. And I just want to the listeners to hear that because I think it'll give context to this conversation of, okay, we want to be a good steward of capitalism. That means we have to understand economies and what an economy is. And that can be kind of confusing. Would you share that definition? Yeah, for sure. And not only is it a great definition of an economy, but Daniel, when you um, pose the problem of people being critical of capitalism, yeah. this definition really answers both of the things. So I'm super passionate about yeah. it. I heard this definition about 10 years ago at something called a children's business fair. And a mm. good friend of mine, Scott Donnell, and a group of a business guys group I was in started launching these for kids. Grant, I know your kids have participated. My kids are going to do it again this year. My kids have participated. It's coming up really soon. It's November something. Daniel, I believe, has agreed he'll he'll put the oh, yeah. website in the show notes so you can take a look at the Children's Business Fair. It's an opportunity for kids to learn and run a little business for a day. It's so cool. And I'm talking like kindergarten to eighth graders. It's yep. amazing. Wow. So when I heard this definition of an economy, my friend Scott Donnell 
who's one of my business mentors and total inspiration, is explaining to basically kindergartners, here's what business is and here's what an economy is. That's my knowledge level of business. Uh, right? <laughs> this is resonating with me. I love kindergarten level explanations. So helpful. Yeah. So he's he, there's literally, there's kindergartners sitting on the grass and he's standing on a little thing and he says, kids, I want to tell you what business is. And he goes, business is so good. He goes, it's an amazing thing. It's so good and economy is good. And I want to tell you what a business and what and how businesses make an economy. And here's what he said. In the world, we have problems. We have things that need to be solved. And what a business is, is when someone says, I want to solve that problem. And I want to ask you to pay me to solve that problem. Hmm. And when you have a a good economy, so a bad economy is when people are taking advantage of one another. But he Hmm. said a good economy is when both parties, it's a total win. So the example he gave is like a brownie because one of the kids has a brownie business, right? He's like, okay, kid, you're making brownies, right? And you're going to make these brownies and you're going to sell them. And they did this process to figure out who's going to sell them for, let's say, $3. Okay, you're going to sell the brownie for $3. Hey, kid, who's doing that? This is your business. Is that a win? If you get $3 for that brownie, is that more than what it costs you to make the individual brownie? And the kid's like, yeah, that's, that's good. And then you can do something good with that money, right? You can save it or you can buy a BMX bike and you can give and help. Like you can do these things, with it, right? Yeah, so that's a win for you. He said, there's going to be people who are going to come and buy the brownies for $3. And when they buy them for $3, it's going to be like, wow, the brownie was here and it was ready and it was delicious. And I got to eat it and enjoy it right now. So when I gave you $3... That was a great value for me. That was a win. That was a total win. I felt happy about giving you $3 because I got a brownie that was amazing. He just said economy are win-win transactions happening all the day, everywhere, all around the world, that it's just people helping solve someone else's problem and being compensated for it. Isn't that a good thing? Isn't that exciting? Yeah, Yeah. it's really great because – uh, the the attack that's happening on on capitalism uh, tells us that uh, earning something or profit can can be bad, and we're going to talk more about this in the second half of of the show. But the 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 reality is capitalism and profit and 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 money it's not bad those are amoral things it's only the people within them that can be bad and when greed is input into capitalism it doesn't go well but the truth is when greed is input in almost anything it doesn't go well uh, and i would even argue that greed in socialism it goes even worse but that's a different conversation but the, the, that's that's the truth and and so what we have to understand if we want to be a good steward of, of of capitalism is we have to look for those win-wins as you're talking about, Jean, and we have to make sure and we have to check our heart and, and see the heart of other people that are within the capitalism with us. Is their greed there or, or, or are they willing to be selfless and have some win-wins happening? Because it does happen all over the place and all the time. And I think the media sometimes doesn't do a great job focusing on it, but it does happen everywhere. And the challenge is we know that we're we're selfish people. I mean, that's what the Bible tells us. And that mm-hmm. unchecked, our selfishness hurts other people. But we also know with God, there's the capacity to do something better, which is not do that and instead look to other people's interests and do what's best for them. So simply put, the problem with capitalism is just greed. And when people do it selfishly, they do it in a way to only take essentially a win-lose. I want to win. I'm going to make you lose because I'm going to hurt you somehow in this transaction. Mm, yeah. Good capitalism is when we can't help but fight selfishness at some level. But when we can put that aside, start to look at the customer, if we're the business, and say, how do I make this a total win for the customer? What I'm giving them, but also what I'm charging them and asking them for out of the transaction. And I want to make that a win. I want to make that a good value. I want to make it so that they walk away and feel really good about it. And then I can walk away if I'm the business or the service provider, I can walk away and feel really good about it. What I delivered was very valuable for what I got or what it cost them out of the out of the transaction. Yeah. And therein lies the opportunity with capitalism. When we are able to say no to ourselves and mm-hmm. be selfless, because 
because we're all tempted to try to be the big winner in the transaction, right? But we're able to deny that and we're able to be compassionate within a capitalist transaction. What that's going to do is create an opportunity for you to worship the Lord. That That is worship there. Um, and I think that is just beautiful. Can I make a quick side note about nonprofit as well as it relates to this? Yeah. yeah. If you think about it, when people start getting angry at capitalism and profit, they think, hey, everything should be nonprofit, right? Nonprofit's the only way to do it. And I love nonprofits. They're very good. You I support them. You and I sit on the them. board on many of we them. We serve right? on boards. Yeah. Nonprofits are critical and amazing. But the challenge, anybody who's worked in a nonprofit or supported it somehow, the challenge is it's not sustainable inherently through a free market economy. Mm-hmm. Instead, nonprofits say, will you please give me money so we can do this great work? Now, that's fine and great and dandy. I'm not saying we should abolish nonprofits. But businesses, I've heard it said this way, business is actually a sustainable nonprofit. Mm-hmm. Business is a way of doing good in the world that doesn't require you to ask for donations and it is sustainable. It can actually grow. More transaction can happen, which means more good is happening, which means it can happen more often, more places around the world. It can grow and scale exponentially, whereas a nonprofit has to say, we can only do this good work for every dollar that someone gives us. And there's some things in nonprofit that just have to be nonprofit because there is no business or profit side. But many, many things in the world can be solved with a business, and that's a sustainable nonprofit. So in a sense, I want our listeners to think nonprofit is not the only way to do the good in the world. We need nonprofits, but businesses, good businesses that honor God are doing great in the world, and they're really doing the same thing as nonprofits, trying to make the world better and solve problems, but they can do it in a very sustainable, scalable way. They can do a lot more good. Yeah. What's Jake's joke? Yeah, I run a nonprofit. Well, that doesn't sound like a very good business. (laughs) (laughs) The the truth is like uh, they are in business and that is their business is relationship with other business owners that are willing to donate to them or other people that are affluent that are willing to donate to them or other people that can give of their time, talents, effort. Because without those donations, without the other profitable businesses coming around them, those nonprofits don't exist flat yeah. out. So. Can I give two two tiny little examples? One yeah. we probably many are familiar with is Tom Shoes, right? Tom Shoes says, hey, every time we sell a pair of shoes, make a profit on it, we're going to give a pair of shoes over here. That's sustainable. I don't know how many millions of pairs of shoes they've given, but somebody go on their website. It's a lot of shoes they're able to give, and they can do that for a long time very sustainably. Here's a silly little even smaller example, but Dunkin' Donuts in town, right? They make donuts and they sell donuts. Well, they don't want to sell their day old donuts. So what they often do is they'll give them to nonprofits. So like Young Life, one I work with, the kids can, leaders can go and say, hey, can we have some extra donuts? And they'll give them these. So think about how many millions of donuts that they can give, which then help the nonprofit in this relationship building and yeah. thing life's doing. How many kids are it's, coming to an event? Hey, I got free donuts. Yeah. Like they're totally coming to Donuts that. will bring kids in <laughs> yeah. and Dunkin' Donuts because they can sell some donuts can give and have a great positive impact with their donuts. And just, those are just two tiny little examples. Yeah. It's both the work itself that does good, but also then uh, prof, good profits made well with generous business owners can do a lot of good in the world. So it's both the giving, but also even the product, the value itself, the shoe that the person bought or the donut the person bought, those can be good things that deliver value and solve problems. That's beautiful. Yeah. My my thoughts here are a, a nonprofit is like a business where it's actually lose-win, where the business is losing right? and the, the, the customer, quote-unquote customer, is winning. But a good economy, good capitalism, means everybody's winning. So the business doesn't have to lose. And if everybody's winning, people are having more fun. It's going to happen more often. It can scale. We can get more people involved in the fun and the good, right? Exactly. I mean, like yeah. that can really grow and be viral. Yeah. In a good way. Yeah. And I have a theory, and I don't know if this will make it into the podcast, but I have a theory as to why the media attacks capitalism. Hmm. 
even though the media is fueled by capitalism <laughs> yeah. and advertising. <laughs> yes. Uh, that you cannot consume media without capitalism, quite literally. Correct. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but, you know, humans are selfish. That's right. Uh, humans are selfish, and we don't like to be told things that challenge our thinking, just naturally. And it might, if, if we're challenged too much, we may stop consuming that media. And so the media, I think, makes us feel like we are the good guys, and they make, you know, large companies the bad guys so that we can feel okay and we don't have to be challenged to deny our selfishness and, and operate in a good capitalist economy. Yeah. And so I, my, my theory there is that, you know, the media just wants to fuel or make us feel okay about being selfish mm -hmm. and then leave it up to someone else to take care of other people. Mm. Yeah. It's interesting, Daniel. Uh, another big reason I think I've heard is media works because of engagement and engagement goes up when you have negative news. So if you can mm. criticize something, right. that gets a lot more eyeballs, interest, engagement and yeah. media, whether it's watching TV or clicking on social media or whatever it is, negative gets more attention. So anytime you can attack or get people angry by, or incensed by what you're saying, it gets a lot more engagement. So simply put, that capitalist organization, <laughs> the media is going to do better and make more money when they can be negative about things. It's why bad news continues to dominate for the most part. Um, good news just doesn't sell as well. It doesn't get engagement and clicks, usually. Is this why when I disagree with Dave Ramsey on social media, it like, goes crazy? Yeah, <laughs> it is. But I will yell at you if you violate this next one. Never buy a house on more than a 15-year mortgage. Absolutely crazy. Don't do that. Whoa, he's going to yell at you if you buy a house on more than a 15-year mortgage? I disagree with Dave Ramsey here. A 15-year mortgage is great. It has lower interest. You pay a lower amount of interest over the life of the loan. However, cash flow is very important. And the truth is a 30-year fix is going to make that cash flow easier. And now when housing feels less affordable than ever before, a 30-year fixed mortgage makes it more affordable. Here's the truth. If you can purchase a home sooner rather than later, it will increase the speed of your wealth building journey. So anything and everything that you can do wisely to get into a home quicker, the better it's going to be for your wealth building journey. 15 year mortgages are great, but a 30 year fixed mortgage is still very good. All right. So we understand now how capitalism is good. We understand that that when people are operating in a with a win-win mindset in yeah. capitalism, it can spread a lot of good in the world and it can continue to happen. Mm -hmm. It's sustainable. Yeah. So that all sounds great. <laughs> mm -hmm. A lot a lot of theories here, a lot of good yeah. good talking. <laughs> yep. A lot of words. So how how can these words be put into action? Mm -hmm. uh, you guys both clearly love people mm -hmm. and you also love finding needs and, and filling those needs. And you've done that recently by, by coming together and starting Stewardship Realty. Yes. So how have you guys through Stewardship Realty created a, a healthy capitalist approach to real estate? Well, I think um, what we'll do is walk people through three things that I think you can do to be a good steward of capitalism. And then Jean and I can give examples of like what we did with that in, in real estate. And the reason why I think real estate's a good example to give is one, it's it's recent to us, me and you, Jean, right? So it'll be easy for us to communicate. But then also like 
most people listening have have gone through a real estate transaction are familiar with what real estate is so it's going to be easy for them to yeah. to understand and and make real and your your home the thing you're dealing with is very important to all of us oh, yeah. it's the mm-hmm. place where we sleep it's the place where we wake up where our family is like it's a it's a very felt powerful emotional and kind of central need to our lives yeah yes Absolutely. so the the first practical example about how you can be a good steward of this capitalist society that we're in is step one is meeting real needs. You cannot operate within capitalism unless there is a genuine need. Like there is a problem, as you put it in your example of an economy, and and you solve that problem for somebody. First off, that's really good. But then two, you have to understand, well, in order for us to be a good steward of this, we have to continually look for those needs, continue to find folks who have those needs and serve them and, and be selfless in them and just love them like crazy in those needs. And, and that's how we do well with this. And the example that we have with, with real estate is – real estate obviously is a, is a huge need, right, Sean? Yeah. I mean the problem we're solving is if you need to buy a house, you need help with that. Mm-hmm. You don't have a house or maybe you have to move out of a house for some reason. Your lease is ending or you're moving and you need a new place. You need a place to live and you need it by a certain time and you need it to be a certain size and you need it to fit your budget and you need, you'd like it to be in a certain location and you might like it to have a pool or not have a pool or whatever. Mm-hmm. So that's a real need because Getting a house is complicated. It takes not just minutes. It takes days. It's not like ordering something on Amazon right, where yeah. we click and it's delivered to our house. Thing. Yeah. Buying a house is something I'm waiting that takes on the house weeks. vending machine. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, like the Carvana one. Yeah, like exactly. you can drive and hit the button. Yeah. It's going to be tough to do with real estate. But there you go. Maybe, yeah. Daniel, you can solve that problem. We'll see. So when you're buying, that, the problem you're solving is helping someone get a house. If you're mm-hmm. selling, that's also very daunting. Those of our listeners that have sold a house know that's scary. It's stressful. Is someone going to want to buy my house? What price are they going to pay? How long is it going to take? What do I have to fix? Mm-hmm. How do I know I'm getting the best price? Will they value it as much as I have? Yes. Mm-hmm. Will they love it and take care of my baby as yeah, much as exactly. I do? Yeah, right. yeah. 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 And see, all, all of this too isn't even considering the financial and legal side of real estate. When yeah. you're engaging in a real estate transaction, I need to make sure I'm not stepping on any legal landmines or going to get into any trouble or step into any financial traps. And working with professionals who do this for a living, who have licenses that are held accountable by various regulatory authorities, uh, help walk you through that and, and protect you against some of that stuff. So again, th- this is really, really neat, a big deal to have these needs met. But st- this kind of leads into step two, which is, yes, you have to find find the needs, but step two is make sure that it's a win-win. And we've talked about that in the first part of this, but one of the needs that we that we felt like we we met uh, with Stewardship Realty is creating a different win-win. Uh, so we have adjusted the way that we do some of our compensation to ensure that win is, is happening. Uh, so we do it a little bit differently on the sell side versus what we do on the buy side. But John, share with me a little bit about kind of like the history or your opinion of how real estate compensation used to be and maybe why we're doing a little different. Yeah. I'll just use some simple figures. You know, real estate has traditionally, a lot of agents have said, well, the normal quote commission is 6%. 3% goes to the person who helps the buyer. 3% goes to the uh, agent who helps the seller. That's quote kind of typical or, and, and, 
real estate agents, frankly, would like to just kind of keep that and keep it the same. But some of our listeners would know what antitrust is. It's literally a law that says you can't fix prices. One of the beauties of a free market is if it's really free, you can charge what you want, but somebody's only going to pay for it if they want to. You're not forced to use a certain vendor. So Mm. now you walk into Walmart, for example, right? And you can pick a couple different peanut butters. You get to pick which peanut butter is the, the product and the quality and the price that makes sense to you. And free markets should have options. When you have options, Options, competition, competition is healthy. Competition's yeah. good. Yeah. There's a book that Grant and I love uh, by Wayne Grudem called Business for the Glory of God. I can't recommend this book enough. And they talk about profit. Wayne Grudem says profit is good. Just because it's been abused and you've seen profit abused, profit's actually really a good thing that God made. And competition's really good. Why is competition good? Because it gives you options. And it kind of starts to find the price value floor where both parties think it's a win-win. So specifically in yeah. real estate, you know, 6% commissions in the Valley, for example, I'll just go five years back in the Phoenix Metro Valley where we're recording and where we do our business, the median sales price five years ago was around 230,000. So 6% on that was 12,000 something. That was Mm -hmm. kind of the commissions. Now today in 2022, it's close to double. The median price is close to double. It's in the 400s around 460 or 430, depending on which group you look at and measure it. But for simplicity, let's just say it's double. It's about double. It's twice as expensive to buy a house in Phoenix as it is. That means the commissions have doubled. So if there's 6%, instead of 12,000 something, it's now like 14, 15,000. Well, the question I often have is how many of you in your industries has your salary doubled in five yeah. years? <laughs> yeah. that, that doesn't happen in industries. Normally business doesn't sustain that. And it used to be, I think, more fair and equitable, 6%, if you will, on what those prices were. Grant and I's conviction, part of why we started this is we just didn't think that was equitable. We think there's too much fat on that. Mm-hmm. And Bezos, who, who uh, Jeff Bezos of Amazon, one of the interesting things he said is, your profit margin is my opportunity. Yeah. Basically, mm-hmm. he says, when there's fat, when people are charging too much, there's a real opportunity to innovate and disrupt an industry. And industries sometimes don't like that. You know, Airbnb, or Airbnb and Uber start to shake up industries, and, and that's kind of rattling to people. But when there's fat, or you can find how to deliver great value at a better price, it's incredibly powerful, right? It's like Costco. I, I, I like Costco. Not everybody does, but I like Costco because you can, you can get a good product, and you can pretty much be assured that's the best possible price for that product because Costco's are experts at kind of doing big bulk wholesale deals and getting the best possible price on a certain product at a price point. And that's kind of amazing. So you can have high confidence you're getting great value there. And that's what we've tried to do with the commission is shake that up and say, we think there's too much. We think we can actually fix it. And then what we can do is we can take the extra commission, and if it's a buyer, we can apply it to the buyer. We can give them credits back. And granted, similar to what you did in the mortgage industry, you mm-hmm. know what you did years ago in starting Stewardship Mortgage, I know a lot in the industry said, that can't be done. There's no way you can do it for less. Right. But you proved it's more than possible. It's thrived. Stewardship mm-hmm. Mortgage has thrived and helped tons of people get a lower interest rate and lower closing costs because of how you structured that. That's part of the reason I decided to do with this with you is because I saw you disrupt that industry, yeah. create a better value model for the customer. And when you said to me, John, can we do that in real estate? I was like, yes. Yeah. Yeah. And and really what we did is, uh, yes, there's a problem that people have and they need a professional to walk them through a real estate tra- transaction to give them peace to help them get the most out of it. But we also saw the problem on the finance side with, with the compensation. And this is a stat that I shared in the history of real estate commissions blog. And I think I also shared it in the video, Dan, I'm not sure, but Maybe. it used to be that the standard real estate commission was taking up about 7.3% of the 
annual household wage, the average annual household wage. Well, where it is today in Arizona, a standard real estate commission takes almost 35% of the annual household wage. That's a gigantic gap. 35, and what was the earlier one? 7.3%. So that's a five times increase. Yes. Yeah, so that's wow. that's a really, really big deal. It's like, okay, these, these real estate uh, commissions, in our opinion – as Jean said, there's there's just some fat there. So how how can we trim yeah. that? What can we do? And you know, again, we have to meet that real need. That's step one. We have to find the win win, which is which is step two. And part of the the win win comes down to looking in the mirror, saying, mm-hmm. okay, well, how can I trim that fat? How can I look at my expenses, my processes, my systems, and the things that we're doing to ensure that I can still win, pay my employees well. I can still win. Yes, I'll have a profit also, but then create this big win for the the customer. And just a simple flat example of how we do it, it's essentially we have a flat fee for our real estate compensation. And anytime we receive co- compensation above that, because we have to work in the standardized real estate world. So when we receive more over our flat fee, we give that to the client at closing when, when we help them buy a house, which is huge because then they can use that to pay for closing costs or buy their interest rate down or whatever else. Like there's just so many other areas. But yeah, we still win. We're profiting, but we feel like we've created a huge win opportunity for, for clients as well. And, and that doesn't happen without capitalism. And it's exciting to believe that we can do that, that we can create more value, a really great experience for the customer. One of the criticisms of discount realties, if you will, which I wouldn't describe us as, but if we're reducing the cost, some would say, well, that falls on the category of a discount real estate brokerage. One of the criticisms is, well, you're getting less service or value. We are not looking to decrease the service or value. In fact, we want to elevate. Yep. We want to follow the stewardship values and how we love customers and say, no, we want it at that level, if not higher. Mm-hmm. We just think we can actually do it more efficiently yep. via team approach, yep. some economies of scale, the multiple financial services that stewardship has. There's a couple real practical business reasons we think we can do that. But I'd also say with humility, we're, we're not trying to say this is the perfect model or the right. end-all, be-all model. We're It's working. We mm-hmm. think it's going to work great, and but we want to continually improve it. And if what we do is have an influence on the industry that creates some new ideas or new structures for this, that's great. And I'm sure this model will change over time. Uh, but we think this is going to work well and give great value to, that, to the customer. And that's a perfect lead into step three. You know, step three of trying to be a good steward in capitalism is we have to focus on this fact. Human flourishing should be the real outcome of good capitalism. And that only happens with free and open markets being the foundation of this kind of vibrant economy. Uh, so when capitalism is working well, People's lives get better. Mm-hmm. And as you mentioned before, we want to say with humility, yeah, we, we, we love the idea of what we're doing with Stewardship Realty, but it doesn't mean we're the end-all be-all. Um, we're going to always constantly try to get better and innovate as our society innovates. Uh, just because we open a real estate agency doesn't mean other realtors are are bad people. We have nothing bad to say about realtors. Uh, we have a lot of great relationships with a lot of really great realtors, even after we've launched this company that we still stay networked with and talk to and share best practices and try to help each other. 
And that's part of really great, good capitalism. I think too often business owners or people that you know somebody that's doing something similar in your same field and you're like, ooh, you, you do that. I do too. Let me keep my distance from you. Like I'm the opposite. It's like I want to go to as many conferences as possible, become friends with as many people as possible who do the same things that I do work in my industry and especially ones that are in my market so I can get to know the things that they're doing and they can get to know the things that I'm doing. And it allows us to grow and get better and innovate and solve problems better. Mm-hmm. I get to know more about real needs that are being met by other people and then figure, oh, yeah, well, let's work together to see how, how ways we can do this better in our businesses because that creates flourishing for the entire market, for the whole of society. It sounds like the foundation of this, this mindset of good capitalism and good competition is a mindset of abundance, Rather than scarcity. Yeah. Thinking there is enough business to go around. Mm -hmm. There is enough money to go around. There is enough value to go around. Yeah. That everybody can win. Yeah. Economy is not a zero-sum game where someone has to lose. It takes extreme hubris for me to think that I – it can serve the entire state of Arizona with all of our financial products and services. <laughs> yeah. That would take extreme amounts of ridiculous selfish pride to think that the way that we do business is the absolute only best way for every customer. Right. And that's the benefit of great capitalism is options. I mean, Jean mentioned mm-hmm. the peanut butter before, but like consumers, if they have those options, they can find a place that's awesome for them for their financial services, including real estate. Look, I'm, I'm confident to think that we are awesome for like 95% of the people that are out there, right? A very large majority. But there's times where we're not. And there's times when there's other people that are my quote unquote competitors that can serve a customer a little bit better. And I'm going to be the first one to say, hey, you know, you need to go use them. I actually know that person. He's a great business owner. They do great things. You, should, you know, and, and that's how our attitude needs to be to be a good steward of capitalism. Yeah. I had a conversation with Nate, one of our real estate advisors today that was like, we can't help this customer. We're not the best for them. We need to find somebody else. And the best yeah. way we can love them is find someone else in real estate with the expertise that this particular client needs. And that's a real joy to say, hey, we can't help you, but we think we know somebody does. Yeah. And Daniel, to your point about um, scarcity versus abundance, I really think it's true. Scarcity leads us to transactions that are more win-lose. How do I win? And it's often at the expense of somebody else by overcharging them or under-delivering or something. But in abundance, we really can look towards win-win is not just a pie-in-the-sky idealistic thing. Win-win is what God has designed to be, that we serve and love one another and provide great value to one another. And flourishing is such an amazing word because you think about just flourishing like a healthy plant or a planet just like vibrant. Uh, I've heard an explanation of the word shalom, which right we know is like peace, right? Simply Mm -hmm. just peace. But in the Hebrew, shalom is a connectedness when everybody and everything is working well in a way together that everybody's getting better and healthier and connected. It's like this beautiful picture of interconnectedness and working. And when somebody needs help, some other piece of that interconnectedness, that community fills in and serves that need. So shalom is so much more than just simply the word peace, meaning absence of like pain or conflict. Mm -hmm. Shalom is like connectedness, working, serving, loving one another. Sounds like kind of something, right, that God has designed us for. Yeah. Yeah. And one of the connected things that we know to be true, specifically reading some examples, statistics, and data uh, from the book, what was it, John? Poverty of Nations? Poverty of Nations. Yes. Barry Asmus and Wayne Grudem. Yes. We were talking a little bit about that before we hit record today, a book that you and I have both read. But 
in that book, they espouse and prove with data and statistics that where there's great capitalism happening, there's less poverty. There is less uh, hunger. There is less disease. Um, there is less homelessness. Like all the things that everybody's heart breaks for, right? Mm-hmm. The things that are just bad and we don't like to see. Mm-hmm. Less of those things are happening mm-hmm. when in, in really great capitalist societies. That, I mean, that's a fact in that book, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. If we want the... If we want less poverty and more health, both within our own country and other countries that we might uh, have compassion and heart for, the thing we actually need is not less capitalism, because I know that's the solution that some people would say or some media would say. We actually need better capitalism. Mm. We need better capitalism. And, and Wayne Grudem and Barry Asmus, he's actually an economist. Grudem's more the theologian. But Barry Asmus is a, was, unfortunately, he's passed a brilliant economist. And he looked at particularly countries in South America, and he showed some countries where once they start to have a free market economy and a rule of law that would protect and support that economy, that the median like uh, level of living, or there's another word for it, like standard of living, if you will, would elevate tremendously, not yeah. immediately like minutes or hours, but like over a period of a couple years, mm-hmm. people would be lifted out of poverty. There would be less illness, less suicide, less death, less miscarriage, less infant mortality, yeah. less divorce, less all the things that we could measure that humans are healthier when you have good, good economies. Good economies promote human and flourishing. Capitalism is good. good. We need What we need is not less capitalism. We need good capitalism. We need better capitalism, other-centered capitalism. Yeah. And for me, I'm uh, excited, John, not only that you came onto the episode today, but that we as friends together were able to uh, be, enter this compassionate capitalist society, be compassionate capitalists in this society, do our best to serve people, to really meet needs, create win-wins, but then also be a part of a community where there is human flourishing happening because of of this capitalism. Um, Jean, thank you so much for coming on the show today, for coming on to this uh, episode and talking about this. Uh, for those of you listeners who are interested in kind of learning more about this topic, I mean, you can hear the passion that Jean and I have. And even Dan, as you're talking, like passion's oh, yeah. coming out. Um, it's, it's just great. I strongly recommend the book. Uh, Business for the Glory of God by Wayne Grudem. Um, Jean mentioned the book before. Wayne Grudem actually was one of my professors in college. He's awesome. It's a really short, easy read. Yeah. So I strongly like 45 minutes short. Yeah. Yes. But it's so good. Mm -hmm. Uh, And it's one of those books I try to read once a year because it's just a wonderful, wonderful read. But check that book out as well. Yeah. And, you know, through this whole conversation, it just kind of occurred to me that we need to not blame capitalism for the problems in the world. Because capitalism isn't the issue. We have to look at ourselves, look inward, and take responsibility for our actions and recognize that the problems in the world are created by humans. Yeah. And it doesn't matter which economic system they're operating in. If humans are acting selfishly, it's going to go bad. Yeah. And so we can, our call to action is to take responsibility. Mm-hmm care about other people yeah you can you can create more flourishing than any other system yeah and these three steps that we've outlined work not only for business owners but for consumers as well so as we're consumers we we need to make sure we're meeting real needs of businesses we need to make sure we're creating win-wins for the businesses we're engaging with and we want to genuinely engage with these business and seek to engage with other consumers to create flourishing in our society. So thanks again for listening to the Stewardship Podcast. If you found this episode helpful, please share it with a friend and go ahead, check out that book, Business for the Glory of God by Wayne Grudem. And we will talk to you again in a few weeks.